welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Before we get started, I'd like to thank a couple listeners. I'd like to thank Charles Bloomer. Thanks for your support and thanks for your friendship, Charles. I really appreciate you. Uh, I'd like to thank Dan Bellin and Mark Dieter. And lastly, I'd like to thank James Holm. Thank you for listening and your support. Appreciate you guys. Um, And once again, um, if you're a listener and you like the show and you have not gone on to Apple Podcasts to give us a review, uh, please do so. You might have to click around a little bit. I know there's a couple screens where you don't see the leave a review, uh, but it's there. So if you just nose around a little bit, you'll be able to do so. I appreciate that. And thank you, listeners. Growing up on the West Coast, the lore of the 1960s free-thinking hippie peace movement was something that was part of our heritage. Within this culture, psychedelics always had a strange, mysterious, and transformative power, an elixir that had the ability to throw open the doors of perception, revealing a sacred, divinely infused electromagnetic field that we are in constant communication with. The lineage of these psychedelic explorers carried forth into the rave and music cultures of the 1980s and 90s, and today is kept alive by festivals like Burning Man. Whatever your take is on this controversial topic, psychedelics seems to be an important part of our mythical tree of knowledge. Tales of seeing the face of God or the goddess abound. Scores of courageous people have had profound experiences that changed the course of their lives. What these intrepid psychic explorers seemed to discover was a portal in consciousness, a DMT-primed access point that seemed to accelerate the understanding of the underlying design and meaning of the cosmos. My guest today has built his podcast around profound discoveries that he made in sacred space, having participated in many ayahuasca ceremonies with shamans in the Amazon. And I'm excited to dialogue with him about what he learned from what is commonly called plant medicine. My guest today is Alex, and he is the host of the podcast Natural Born Alchemist. This podcast has been going since 2014 and features a wide array of guests. The theme of the podcast revolves around shamanism, psychedelics, philosophy, and alternative ideas. Alex has had a lifelong interest in esoteric topics, and his quest for meaning eventually led him to visiting many different indigenous groups around the world and discovering his main teacher in life, ayahuasca. Here's my interview with Alex from the podcast Natural Born Alchemist. Okay, I'm here with Alex, the creator and host of the podcast Natural Born Alchemist. Alex, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Absolutely, absolutely. You've got a great podcast. There's so many interesting topics on there. I was listening to it the other day. Um, how did you come to start? First of all, great name for a podcast. I love Natural Born Alchemist. I think that's a great name. Um, how, did you, how did you come to start it? Like, What was the impetus to have you start podcasting? Well, I've actually always enjoyed doing radio, uh, as a child, I used to have a cassette tape player where you could record your voice. So I used to pretend I had a radio station. And I've always used that as something to play with when I was a child. And then uh, uh, when I got older, I stopped doing it, of course. But I actually was in an ayahuasca ceremony. And podcasting has just kicked off worldwide. It started to become quite popular. And I was in an ayahuasca ceremony and basically, I was just told, why don't you just do a podcast? And so that's how it started. So it was actually the ayahuasca who told me 
to do a podcast. That's really cool. That's really cool. And then the name, I can say, the name is uh, it's actually a, a, a positive version of the Natural Born Killers. Ah, yeah, yeah. That's really great. What is alchemy? A lot of people might think of it as, you know, belonging to another time. You know, people maybe would think of a magician or an occultist, you know, in the laboratory, but it's got more far reaching uh, uh, meaning than that. What is, what is your take on what is alchemy and, and why would you think maybe it might be important today for us? Well, what is al- alchemy is uh, it's a very big question. Yeah. And um, uh, it's, it's hard to answer in a short interview. You could write a thesis on it. But basically, um, in my opinion, uh, alchemy is an, an offspring of shamanism, is the way I see it. And the similarities are too many to ignore. And, and the more I've studied shamanism, the more I see uh, the alchemists because they both do laboratory work. Mm. They both um, uh, transform things, and they both uh, try to heal things and improve things. Uh, but uh, alchemy without laboratory work is not really alchemy. And, um, and, uh, and shamanism without uh, working with plants is not really shamanism, I would say. Uh, and the shamanic practices, they, you know, they originate as early as the Paleolithic. So it's before all organized religions. And I think if you want to ask like big spiritual questions about the universe or life or, or yourself, then shamanism or, or alchemy is a good path to walk. And uh, it's not important for like the global market or anything like that, but it's right. more like it's important for the soul. Yeah. And, and and even if you're like an atheist, alchemy and shamanism will show you the way I think uh, and, and eventually convert you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I think you you said something there where it's been with us for a long time. Certainly all of the indigenous cultures had their version of this with plant medicine, whether it was peyote, um, uh, mescaline, like any anything that came from nature, the, the Amazon uh and ayahuasca and you mentioned ayahuasca ceremony earlier i i just some people i don't think are aware of how much psychedelics has influenced our collective thinking about what is reality um in in the west here i'm from the west coast um so we were you know vastly influenced by the 60s um people like ram das and alan watts and terence mckenna stanislav groff um, you could actually make the case that the psychedelic explorers have been the leading visionaries um, in the West. Um, what has been your uh, experience with ayahuasca? What has it taught you? I know that's a huge question that would probably take you know a long time to unpack. But you know, if you could say, you know, my my big takeaways, like my before vision of what I thought reality was after you know going through a series of ayahuasca ceremonies what what has been the biggest shift like what is your vision of of the way that the cosmos is constructed or you know how did the meaning of your life change from before you were doing ceremonies to after i guess is one way to frame it well i've i've learned many things from ayahuasca and most of it is personal so it relates to my own life but mm-hmm. Uh, and, and sometimes when you say what you've learned, it might not sound special, but the thing with ayahuasca is that it shows you these things. So when 
when you see the message, you can adapt it easier or use it or implement it and see the effects. So for instance, something simple as like, uh, love is all you need. Because when you actually experience it and see it, it, it becomes more real. So it's easier to uh, you know, put it into your life. Uh, so wisdom that you've seen is, is, I think, greater than wisdom you're told. Uh, but on a personal level, you know, I, uh, who I am now and who I was before I started doing the ayahuasca ceremony is two different people. Uh, it's very different. I would say, to simplify, it would be dark versus light. So I was more uh, angry, uh, vengeful, uh, cynical kind of person, and now more the opposite. Um, but you know, like the, the big things I've learned that would maybe concern everybody that's not personal. Um, I would say it's things like protect nature, everything is alive, and um, everything you experience in life is a lesson. Like what I said before, love is all you need, and compassion is key uh, to stay in the present. And uh, you asked about reality, and one thing I really got from the ayahuasca is that uh, the illusion is real so sometimes when you talk about well it's just a simulation or we're living in an illusion yes it might be true but it's also real when you're in it you know so you even though it's not real it's real when you're having the experience like if you're having a dream it's real while you're dreaming so you shouldn't really disrespect it but once you wake up you don't need to take it too seriously yeah. And uh, there's nothing to fear. Everything vibrates and mm -hmm. the mystery of existence and the universe and all of life is divine, but not, yeah. not particularly connected to a specific God or anything. I don't mean like that, but just in general, sacred. Yeah, I think that's a great way of saying it. Also, one of the things I've noticed about psychedelics across the board now, whether it's ayahuasca or LSD, um, um, mushrooms, um, is the experiential sense that you're interconnected to everything. I think it's it's one thing to read about it in poetry or philosophy. It's quite another to have an experience of feeling the connection with nature and other people and the whole cosmos all the way into your being. That's a whole nother ball game for people when it when you start to have that experience, I think um it it's a total game changer. I think it 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 shifts things. You're um you know you're bound to emerge out of those experiences, seeing things differently, and adopting some of the things that you had said. Love is all you need. It's interconnected. Let's protect nature. All of these things are just kind of common wisdom that comes with plant medicine or psychedelics. I think that is um it's it's very people have a very similar. It's personal but also transpersonal at the same time. Yeah, I agree and. Uh... Also, you uh, considering what uh, this podcast is about. I also think it's pretty good for men to do because yeah. you are you connect with the divine feminine, as they say, yep. and it also uh, contrary to the mainstream narrative uh, in the, the psychedelic realm, there is positivity in being masculine and feminine it's not like one is better than the other mm -hmm. they uh, contribute to each other and you can be man and be feminine or woman and be masculine and but you you should have both in certain degrees 
That's great. Yeah. I also think there's men in the West, you know, we've been so cultured in the patriarchal kind of egotistical, you know, you're going to make your life and do it, do it, do it. I think one of the experiences of psychedelics is that it loosens that kind of egoic way of seeing things and puts you into reverence and awe and humility, which doesn't come easy when you're going to work and, you know, you've got your status job maybe and you're, and you're doing that. And it's really reinforcing the ego. Um, like you said, not particularly emphasizing the divine feminine. Uh, and there's just not access points for a lot of men. And I think one of the things about psychedelics is that it, it opens up particular doorways. You could say it opens chakras if you're familiar with, you know, the yogic way of seeing things, but it opens up perspectives that maybe would elude most men if they're just going to go to work and go golfing and, and whatnot. Yes, I agree. And uh, uh, I think it's, I always joke with myself, I'm thinking like if, if I don't know how it is for women, but sometimes I feel like if they would do psychedelics, don't they get too much of, but then I, when I talk to them, uh, then they might get a more of a masculine connection. So it, it's not black and white, but uh, it's also good to point out that the actual psychedelic experience is also beyond any like gender, you know, like yeah. you, you, uh, you can have experiences of, uh, you know, genderless existence and uh, and and uh, that can also be scary because it's also a uh, out of body experience uh, but then you realize that uh, uh, you know nothing is permanent but yet everything is eternal you know so it's a bit contradictory but yeah yeah i mean i i i've listened i know from your podcast that you're a fan of terence mckenna um you know i've i've listened to quite a few of his interviews and he's just so wonderful and wise. And, you know, here's somebody who's done a lot of psychedelics and, uh, you know, mainstream viewpoint might be like, boy, he's really gone out there, but he is just so full of perspective and wisdom and just insights into all sorts of things. He's just a delight to listen to talk. He's such a great storyteller. I, I totally love uh, listening to him in whatever form that is. I know you featured him on your podcast. You're a big fan too, I take it. Oh, yes, yes. The only thing I think Terrence, because he was so focused on investigating and finding out things and understanding, mm -hmm. the, the one mistake I think he did was he never used it to heal himself, or at least he never spoke about that aspect. That's the only thing missing really. From, ah. he, he mentions it, but he never really goes into the personal thing. And there's this famous story about how you can read about it in his brother's biography where he actually had a few scary experiences and he actually stopped doing psychedelics. And my theory is that it's because they basically, you know, it's scary to start healing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yep. Uh, uh, but, I, you know, I, I don't know him, so I, I only speculate. But uh, that's the only thing after having listened to his talks for so many years that's missing but it doesn't really matter because everything else is so great because it's also interesting to to think about it and yeah. i always liked his uh, explanation of uh, psychedelics being like if you um, the mind if you imagine like the mind as a folded up blanket mm -hmm. in your head and you take psychedelics and you unfold it mm -hmm. that's great i love that 
Yeah. So microdosing has become popular. I have a number of friends who um, are big advocates of microdosing, um, taking small amounts of psychedelics, whether it's mushrooms or LSD. Um, And they report, you know, I, you know, the benefits they say are really positive. They say, I feel clear headed. It doesn't, they don't take enough where they're having a trip per se. They take just enough that the body can use it um, in healing, uh, in clarity. Um, and they go about their day and they say they don't notice that they're taking, it, but they just notice over time, it has this like clarifying and energizing impact on their mind and their body. And I just wondered what your take was on microdosing. Have you tried it? What do you see as the benefits? Is there any particular um, uh, substance that seems to respond well to very, very small doses like this? Like what's your take on it all? Uh, I I don't really have any experience at all with microdosing. Yeah, uh, I'm not against it. I always joke that I'm into macrodosing more. Yeah, uh, I have I, the reason I have stayed away a bit from it is that the reason I like psychedelics uh, is that you can take you can you can have a ceremony and have a really intense experience and it can last you a year. Mm. And microdosing reminds me too much of the eat a pill every day. Right, 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 like right. the Western way. But I'm not saying it's not working because I have no experience with it. So I can't really say, uh, I mean, I have to trust what people who do it say it's good. So if it works for them, but for me personally, uh, I might try it uh, at some point. But um, so that's my view on it. I don't really have any experience at all with it. Uh, how often do you do the ayahuasca ceremonies? I have a good, I have a good friend here who's part of the Brazilian like Daimi church and they they do it. Um, every weekend or every other weekend, they have a ceremony um, and they have a, a growing community. Um, and, you know, they spend they spend a good part of uh, Saturdays or Sundays, whatever day they do it, um, doing the ceremony. And so it's it's a it's a good long, you know, six or eight hour day. Um, is this something that you do? Do you do it like my friend does it? Or do you have a different way of, of doing ceremonies? Is it is it less frequent than that? How are you doing it? Well, unless you're like training to be a shaman or curandero or something like that, I I like what Alan Watts, uh, if you know him, uh, mm-hmm. he used to say, uh, when the phone rings and you get, when you got the message, when the phone rings, uh, you hang up. So I, I actually do it uh, very rarely. Mm. In fact, uh, uh, it was a couple of years ago since I did my last ayahuasca session. Ah. And I'm not sure when I will probably do it again, but I've noticed that the distance between them are getting longer and longer. Mm. And I don't feel I want to do it unless it tells me to. It's hard yeah. to explain. I don't have a need. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, my friend is training to be a shaman. I think he is training to lead a church where he has a bunch of people that that go through it on a regular basis. Um, that's interesting that you said that, you know, you kind of listen to yourself and listen to the plant to see, should I continue with this? Is it is something coming up where I want to do it again? Because uh, like you said, if you do it, uh, the, the lessons can last you for a lifetime. There's no reason necessarily to do it repeatedly. Yeah, I, I can get like a, a certain message or guidance to what I should do with my life. And I don't want to do the an ayahuasca ceremony until I feel I've accomplished what I was told the last time. Because I have an immense fear if I don't do what I was told <laughs> yeah. and I go back and do the ceremony, I'm going to get trashed. 
and uh, uh, so ayahuasca can be it's 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 what do you call it um, tough love you know mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't take ki- kindly to you know uh, if you misbehave that's how I feel anyway. Igno- ig- ignoring instructions is not really the thing to do I guess <laughs> exactly <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about political correctness you you did a really great episode in episode one. 146 about political correctness. Why why is political correctness so dangerous? I live on the West Coast uh, and we're just swimming in it out here. I mean, you can't go against the narrative. It's so stifling and, uh, you know, you can't question anything out here or you're a conspiracy theorist or you're you're a diehard uh, conservative. I mean, you just get labeled so quickly if you don't go along with what everybody else is saying. And that could be about anything. It could be about the masks. It could be you can't question, you know, and just say, hey, I want to see, you know, the science behind this or I want to. Why can't we talk about this from a different angle? It just gets washed out. Uh, and you just get hit over the head by, by the crowd, essentially. Um, I don't know what, what it's like when, from where you're at and what your thoughts are. Why, why, in your opinion, is political correctness so dangerous? Well, in, in Europe, it's a bit softer, but it's still quite similar. And mm. uh, the, uh, California is so influential in the Western world. So, I mean, like, I live in a place where there's hardly any, any black people, but when the Black Lives Matter process started. There was a protest here also, <laughs> even though we don't really have that issue, but it just yeah. got so influenced. But anyway, what I, why I think political correctness is dangerous is you can look at history, you know, like women belong in the kitchen. That was politically correct. You know, black people less human than white people. That was mm-hmm. also politically correct. The fact that, you know, pedophilia and sex with animals is equal to homosexuality. That was also politically correct. Mm-hmm. And, and the Jews needs to be exterminated in also politically mm. correct. Yeah. In fact, like in 1934, the New York Times, they reported that Nazi Germany was granting permits to journalists to visit Nazi Germany who were politically correct in their opinion. Yeah. So, you know... Uh, when you were living in that time, you know, it was politically correct to have those views. So that yep. means that some of the views today is politically correct now, but might be atrocious in, in the future. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean everything that's politically correct is wrong, you know. It doesn't mean that. But, the, uh, you know, freedom and a free society should allow free expression, even mm-hmm. if it's offensive. And I find it ironic that things I find most offensive are not discussed as politically incorrect at all. Like what banks have done to people or big pharma or the industrial yeah. military complex. And, uh, you know, like with the right amount of respect and teaching, you know, to our children, we don't really need politically correctness. Uh, because it's like today's version of Newspeak from, you know, the George Orwell's 1984. Yep. Uh, Newspeak is basically a controlled language of grammar and restricted vocabulary designed to limit the freedom of thought. Right. You know, so it's basically to break a, a politically correct statement is a thought crime in, in a sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're, we're kind of also seeing a little bit of that Orwellian double speak where, you know, the people in charge of the Department of Health 
you know, are making everyone sick. You know, it's like we're seeing the this kind of double speak where, uh, you know, uh, we're seeing the opposite. Whatever whatever they're saying is, if you flipped what they're saying, you would actually have a close rendition of the truth rather than what they're saying is the truth. Um, and I'm seeing out here just a lot of compliance too, just not questioning what we're seeing around the science, whether it's the masks or you know, the masks, the masks seem to be preparing us for mass vaccinations, which kind of worries me quite a bit. Um, and I'm kind of shocked at the amount of people that are um, completely just like, well, we just got to wear these masks until the vaccine's ready. And to me, I'm like, whoa, that is, that is how a lot of people are thinking. Uh, and that's very dangerous from what I can see. There's a leaked document that came out the other day from, from England uh, from the government, and basically it's a psychological report on how to influence people to take the vaccines. Mm-hmm. And it said uh, if you s- tell people that they're cowards or that they are, uh, um, I can't remember now, but they, they, these different negative aspects, mm-hmm. then you can influence the masses to, because nobody wants to be a coward and, you know, like that. Uh, so it's quite interesting how they are working on it, even on that level. You, using shaming techniques to kind of get people to to do what they want, in a sense. Which is also a bit like crying wolf, because if 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 they do it this like this this time with a a virus that's uh, compared to other viruses is not as dangerous and lethal as what we've seen in history. Right. Uh, if the next one is extremely dangerous, which would actually require everybody to really lock down and wear masks, then yeah. maybe they won't because of what's the way they've done it this time. I don't know. Right, uh, right. Yeah, I could see that happening. I mean, uh, if something comes, you know, in the next year or two that's really deadly, you know, it, it would set off, uh, you know, you'd have to pivot. I, I think that the, the tendency is maybe to, treat it all as one thing, you know, but it, we may have to look at this a little differently depending on what the situation is. Right now, it, it this whole thing with COVID to me seemed like a total overreaction. Um, I didn't think we really needed to shut down everything. It seemed like, you know, about as deadly as a bad flu. And I, I, I really didn't know why we were having to lock down so much. The mainstream media was telling us why. But if you looked beyond that, there didn't look to be a lot of evidence of why we needed to do it. I mean, up where you're at, um, near you, um, Sweden didn't lock down at all, and their numbers don't look worse than everybody else's. In fact, I, I think Sweden's not talked about a lot in the United States mainstream media because they don't want people looking at that going, hey, what about these guys? Why did why did they get a free pass and their numbers don't look worse? Yes, and uh, I think uh, it's also, uh, they. it seems like they've used this opportunity to, to peddle fear um, yeah. because some people seem, honestly, I mean, they seem like they're living in a nightmare and it's really not that dangerous and unless yeah. you're a certain group of people or in, in a risk. But yeah, so they, I think they handle it really strangely. They did. Uh, Everywhere, yeah. So other than the great podcast, Alex, um, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about? Uh, the podcast is Natural Born Alchemist, really great. Um, how, how long have you been doing that for? Has that been like five years or something now? Uh, 2014, I started. 
Right on, right on. Well, nice work. Way to stay with it and keep up the good work. Is there any? Is there anything you have coming in the fall or later on this year that you'd like our listeners to know about? Yeah, sometimes later this year, I'm gonna start doing it on YouTube as well. So oh, cool. uh, that's something I'm working on, but I'm not sure when. But it's gonna be the same name, so it will be easy to find. That's great. That's great. So we'll look for that. Alex, thanks so much for coming on Basecamp for Men. It was really great to have you on the show. Um, Keep up the great work on your podcast. And thanks again for coming on and sharing your insights and your wisdom. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you a lot. I hope you enjoyed our time with Alex. If the topic of psychedelics is interesting to you, go listen to Alex's Natural Born Alchemist. His podcast isn't only about psychedelics, but he has many episodes and guests where he explores this topic. Listening to Terrence McKenna is always a mind-expanding experience, as many of you know. There are a bunch of good Terrence videos on YouTube and, of course, his books, which include Food of the Gods, The Search for the Original Tree of Knowledge, A Radical History of Plants, Drugs, and Human Evolution. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac, and you're listening to Basecamp for Men. 